Take two. We are back. It's been too long. Yes, it has. But we're here once more. Once again. On Ghost in the Garbage. Ghost in the Garbage. I'm excited. I am excited too. Daniel, you're excited. I'm always excited. You're always excited. Today, we've got two great things happening here. We've got a topic that is controversial. It's hot. It's crazy. It's it's all we need for Christmas this year. And we've got a very special guest. Yes, we do. That's a... That's amazing. Who's the special guest? Oh my God! And what's the second great thing? There, there he is, Abraham Eifert. We've got Daniel the Manual. Not my nickname. Abe the other Manual Eifert. <laughs> and yeah, thanks for joining us, Abe. I, I understand that you are, in fact, something of an expert on the topic we're going to be talking about today. That's why Daniel's brought you in. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would call myself an expert, but thank you, the Manual, um, for for saying that about me. I've, I've, you know, I've seen. A thing or two about Christmas. I've seen one or two of the movies. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I know a thing about, about Santa, about Christmas. And that is the topic we are discussing today. Santa Claus, colon, man or monster. His, his colon? No. I thought you were an English major. No, it was like colon. God, God, Weston, you were like the coronavirus for comedy. <laughs> I spread it everywhere. With no effort? What happened when Weston got COVID? S- smell and taste remained intact. Sense of humor, totally dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Santa, yeah. Coco-COVID. Oh, dear. Coco-COVID. Coco-colon? <laughs> it, it, all, it all connects. It's all connected. There you go. Forget that. <laughs> so, Daniel, you're, you're officially taking the position that Santa is a monster. Am I correct? I am Weston. That is correct. I am. I am falling down firmly on the side of the truth, which is that Santa Claus is a monster. That's great. And and Abe, you're kind of joining him in that position. Am I right? Or are you? Are you the external sort of factual force that just exists to insert itself? I mean, I can I can bring my perspective, but I I think that I probably fall a little bit more on the the Santa Claus is a little bit of a monster side of the argument as well. Now, I don't know if you both noticed, but I am wearing a Mothman hat. I, you know, have done this podcast for some time. I am something of a self-professed uh, expert on monsters, so I will be taking the other side and arguing more. No, I, I think you have some interesting points, but no, I'm sorry. I just don't think it's quite there. Is being a self-professed monster expert like self-publishing a novel? Like No, no. Uh, on that, you actually have to pay some money, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Me, I can just throw stuff up on the internet. Oh yeah, you know? to 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 get the degree in self expertise, you have to pay for yeah yeah. No, I get you. No, I, I majored in fiction writing, so I can just say anything. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious if if you're going to take the position that Santa Claus is not a monster, I'm I'm kind of curious what how would you define what a monster is? Mm, maybe that's where we should start. All right, so. So a monster has to be an other of some kind, right? That's one of the things. It has to be outside of the norm, outside of regularity. Typically, it inspires fear. Typically, it holds danger. Typically, it, how would we put it? It, it, it like stalks or subverts or hunts or preys upon, right? Introduces 
that danger to a population at large. Typically, it has abilities, powers, traits, uh, those sorts of things that are above and beyond what is considered normal. See, and I can already see or hear the wheels turning. You know, I know where you guys are going with this. Yeah, you're talking about Mitch McConnell. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. I mean, come on, you know. Which, yeah, that's <laughs> that that's settles another debate for us. Mitch McConnell, colon, monster or really awful monster? <laughs> Just a monster or the worst monster. <laughs> I mean, what's what's some other monster traits? Uh, I, let me let me think a little more as we as we kind of dive in on some of the more distinguishing traits of monsters as as you guys make your case here. Well, I think that's a great place to start, at least, because that that kind of gives us an idea of of what you're thinking is a monster. So since since you're saying he's not a monster, I guess that gives us a a place to start with, you know, how how we think he is a monster. So so Daniel. You, you brought up this topic. You started. So how why, why do you think he's a monster? What traits does he have? What is going on? I'm going to say he's been alive for forever. Sure. Seems to not really change too much in age. He's sort of frozen in time at a specific, uh, a specific time and look. He has the ability to survey every single child on the planet when they're asleep which is weird. That part is weird. When they're awake, which is also weird. Less weird. Uh, he knows everything that you're doing. He is convinced that his version of morality is the right way to live your life. He has enslaved an entire race of, of creatures to work for him year round. I want to get to that later too. I want to get to the elves later. With seemingly no time off other than, I guess the only time the elves get a break is when Santa leaves to break into people's houses and then they get to <laughs> chill for one evening. Yeah, they get a couple hours off. Yeah. Okay, but he, he gives something good, right? He leaves presents. He leaves toys. I don't, you know, the Minotaur doesn't give Theseus a gift. But isn't that the hallmark of any abusive relationship? That's the hallmark of any abusive relationship. Like, I've been mistreating you for 364 days, but on one day I do something right. And you're like, oh my God, Santa does love us. As you're like nursing a broken arm. The Mothman was not flying after that car of people to hand them a toy train. <laughs> as far as we know, they didn't stop and see what he was up to. I mean, they, they just kind of ran away. <laughs> Abe, I, I thought I thought I thought you had a good. I, I, you you told me once that you have a story about the Mothman. It was something I hadn't heard before. Oh yes, and it connects to one of Santa's powers. Because actually. they did. I thought you, I thought you said they did stop and talk to the Mothman. So they so at one point, um, so in West Virginia, where where the Mothman uh, legend takes place, which is just you know just a, an hour's drive away from me here, and actually. where all ridiculous stories take place. Yes. <laughs> They have a lot of monsters there. No, they have a lot of morons there. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard you say the same word twice. But, um, <laughs> so they were they were driving around, uh, four people driving around in a car. Um, the, they they see the Mothman, obviously, right? He's he's flying around along the side of their car, not breaking a sweat. They're going like a hundred miles an hour um, down this road, and they are just they're terrified. They're they're shitting bricks, um, and they're they're flying. They're trying to get away. Finally, they seem to break it, and then they see the figure of the Mothman standing in the middle of the road. So they slam on the brakes so as to not hit the Mothman, and he crumbles down into a pile of rags on the ground, or so they think. They get out of the car to investigate, and what should be left behind but a pile of dust. 
Dun, dun, dun. But no gift. So obviously. But there was no gift. Gold dust. I mean, depends on, did they, I don't know what kind of dust was it. Maybe it was really good dust. <laughs> or maybe they were naughty. We don't know. But <laughs> what I was saying a second ago is like, this, this kind of mirrors one of Santa's powers is that he has the ability to turn into some sort of like one of his magical abilities, depending on what version of Santa Claus you're looking at is that he has the ability to turn into dust. That's part of his, like, being able to get in and out of places, is he does that little, like, nose waggle thing, like, uh, touches his nose, and he can turn into, I don't remember if it's, like, a a coal dust or some sort of dust that, that allows him, so he has this transformative. That sounds like a J.J. Abrams So what we're saying, yeah, why were there polar bears? <laughs> um, so what we're saying is, if you want to defeat Santa just around Christmas Eve, if you see any dust anywhere, just get out your get out your vacuum cleaner and zip zip. Get the dirt devil out and yeah. Get out that dirt devil. <laughs> there you have it. Christmas is canceled, kids. We just sucked up Santa. We finally caught the son of a bitch. <laughs> the most dangerous game. That feels very Those Ghostbusters. Oh, Weston. Comedy COVID is kicking in again. I know. I didn't bring the puns to <laughs> today. Oh man, he used all his puns. <laughs> Shouldn't you always have them? Being a being a uh, uh, oft decried uh, English major, you should just be ready to go, right? See, I have I have nothing to say. I have no response that will make anyone laugh, <laughs> <laughs> other than to say that. Uh. <laughs> all right, you've made you've you've made a, a couple convincing points that Santa shares some traits with monsters. Sure, sure. But I'm still not sold. I'm still not sold. Well, so, I mean, we've, he's got this uh, magical ability. So one of the things you talked about were, like, the magical abilities. So what other what other magical abilities or, or otherworldly abilities do we know of that Santa has? So, like, he, he has the ability to transform. He can fly either with the use of some sort of reindeer mm-hmm. sleigh contraption okay. or in whichever way you, you see fit. He can manipulate and control time. Okay, we've all seen Harry Potter. We've <laughs> seen Harry Potter. There is good magic, Kay. and there's bad magic. Come on. Come on. Now who has nothing? <laughs> no, I would argue that that argument was also nothing, so I guess I guess still you. <laughs> still to me. Oh, boy. Let me think. I'm going to think of a real monster here. Sa- well, Santa Claus That's is a good, a good real monster. <laughs> Charybdis, a classic monster from Greek mythology, created a whirlpool. At this point in time, listeners, uh, it would be worth pointing out that Weston has a degree in literature, which is how he's able to uh, <laughs> frequently reference these kinds of things. If you haven't heard him mention that, stick around. In five minutes, he will. <laughs> which created a whirlpool and sucked passing ships to their demise, where the sailors were horribly mangled and mutilated and devoured by this monster. So Santa doesn't offer out punishments in the uh the tyrannical like tortury kind of way that you're describing but he still does deal out judgment so his his version of punishment isn't quite so extravagant as as what you're describing you know he's not flaying flesh from the bone or you know <laughs> drawing and quartering the children but he is you know oh, he's deciding who is naughty who's nice and he's giving you know the the famous lump of coal to to what he deems to be the naughty children 
So, you know, again. Yeah, yeah. Which is a resource we should be using a lot less of. So Santa continually insisting on the the mining of coal. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, it's also kind of self-destructive being that he lives at the North Pole. Say so right? we should be looking up the how, what the mineral rights look like <laughs> around the North Pole and what, what that man is what that man is doing to the land. Is he mining the coal himself? Yeah, where does he this get This is another coal? question that I've always had about Santa. Where so, you know, back back in the day when all of the toys were, you know, wooden toys or tin toys or whatever. That's pretty easy for Santa to, to make himself, but now he it, wasn't making him himself. Well, the for, elves his, were. for his Again, slave elf labor, it is, it is slave labor. It is a man who promotes himself as being a hard worker for the every man or every child year round, but does none of it himself. I mean, I agree. I don't think the elves seem like they've unionized. No, it does not. Santa Claus is a capitalist <laughs> bastard. So, so even then, even if so. Like, the, the in-house labor can still, though, make a wooden toy or a tin toy. But nowadays, in in the era of branded toys and, and branded merchandise, where is Santa procuring these things? Is he is he mining his own coal? Is he producing his own Xboxes? Like, where are the iPads coming from? Like, is he is he sneaking into Cupertino and breaking into the Apple headquarters to, to steal their iPads? Like, <laughs> is he going on Best Buy and placing mass orders? Like, I don't know where this is coming from. Do they lobby Santa? Oh yeah, I don't know. For him to carry the products, lobbyists. Oh, it's like a yeah, yeah. That could be another. That could be a whole. I mean, capitalism. Is this, is this like a, a Coke versus Pepsi situation? The kids yeah. ask for an iPad. And like, sorry, we only have the uh, the Samsung Tab Ten. Is that going to be okay? <laughs> Here's an etch a sketch. <laughs> really have Acers. Well, I think in the Coke Pepsi debate, we know which one Santa's. We know which side Santa Claus is on. He's Team Coke. <laughs> Uh, both the soda and also the substance, because that is actually how he moves around that quickly uh, in one night. He just does a couple of rails, and he's, he, he's ready to give every kid around the planet toys, and he comes up with five or six of the best, worst business ideas you've ever heard. I mean, you think Santa has a beard, but that's just like the powder. Or maybe his hair isn't actually white. It's just the, the coke stuck in his beard. <laughs> His head, his head is always covered. You, for all we know, he could have like really dark hair, and his beard is just caked with cocaine. <laughs> Where's that Kurt Russell movie? I mean, they just made the Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie. I think that's it. Have you seen Have you seen Santa in yeah, that version? Like, he's probably done a little coke. That's how he's yeah, keeping exactly. it so trim. Eating all those cookies, he's speeding his ass off. <laughs> Earning that E rating on this episode. I don't know if Coke, talking about Coke qualifies, actually. Okay, here's what we have to say in order to get an E rating. So, in addition to making some wildly absurd accusations, you guys have made a good case that Santa does share a number of traits with uh, Look, monsters. all I'm saying is if Santa Claus has a problem with these wild <laughs> accusations, he can get his fat, coked-up ass onto this podcast and disagree with me himself. Daniel, I'm going to remind you that the last time we talked that way, the Ghost-O-Matic 1000 exploded, and I wound up in a time vortex, and Simon Bibbageford was was on our, on our tails, man. I don't know if we should go there anymore. Yeah, well, that didn't happen to me, so I'm utterly un, uh, unaffected by that. So if you want to fire up the Santa Claus 3000 and get his, get his jolly ass on here, fine. Uh, maybe I'll work on that for next year. But there you go. I think it's, it's a perfect moment to dive into, yeah, where do, where do all of these uh, 
traits, all of this myth, this mythology, this folklore surrounding Santa Claus. Where does it all come from? What do you guys know? I know a little. I believe it comes from hell. <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking Saint Nicholas, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know a little bit about St. Nicholas um, from, from his origins back as a, an actual human person um, in Turkey <laughs> in, in the, the early 80s, somewhere in like the, I'd have to look at the years, like three to 500, somewhere in that time range, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we've got Santa, uh, or again, St. Nicholas, um, who is an actual saint and performs some miracles, as, as you must do in order to become a saint. Right. Um, one of his miracles is arguably a, a better miracle and one of them is more miraculous i think there's more than the two that i know but um the more miraculous of the two is also the weirder of the two i think you have to have three yeah you technically have to have performed three miracles to be canonized three okay i would say i know of two so there's there's definitely a third one floating around out there um but the the weirder one of the two is that at one point uh saint nicholas entered an inn and there was a, an innkeeper there. and There was no place for him to sleep. And they said, sleep in the stable. <laughs> if, if only it was that uh, innocuous and that benign. <laughs> and that's how Mary got pregnant. She got sprinkled with Santa dust. <laughs> no, he, he went in there and basically there was the innkeeper who was, you know, just, just being a little cagey the whole time. And, you know, I don't know, maybe he was like, in in the back room and he noticed that there was a picture of the shopkeeper with three sons and saint nicholas is kind of like where, where are these kids at and the shopkeeper's like i don't know what you're talking about um what kids just just back off bro and so saint nicholas is like that's a big old jar of pickles over there what, what's the deal with that and the shopkeeper's like don't look in there it's those are private pickles uh leave those be <laughs> Uh, at which point St. Nicholas opens up, pops open those pickles, and lo and behold, there are the three sons that have been pickled. Murdered and pickled. <laughs> That's not the miracle that he found them. <laughs> That's... Don't look at the pickle cask. That's profoundly horrible. Yeah, at which point Santa Claus, or excuse me, St. Nicholas, at this point still, pulls out the, the, pickled, the pickled tots and brings them back to life. So he rejuvenates and restores these pickled children <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to say your your retelling of this is, is killing me i'm pickling with laughter it's i don't actually know how old they are i, I mean they could be in their 20s for all i know but traditionally an older vintage is what people go for with pickled and cask aged things so yeah they were at least 18 he, he brings back to life these he's, murdered and he's, pickled he's children. pickled 20 somethings <laughs> These pickled tweens. Yeah. That, like, if that's true, what a, like, I feel like there's a one in a million chance you're right. Like, if the kid, if they weren't, like, little children and they were, like, grown adults, it's like, where are your kids? They don't live here anymore. Bullshit, they don't. What's in that jar of pickles? It's people. Like, no, it's just, it's just pickles. I swear to God. No, it's people. He's, like, smashing stuff and opening them. And as, as he, like, gets it's like, oh, nope, turns out these are just pickles. My bad. Where are your 37-year-old sons? They have, they're gone. They live on their own. They have families of their own. You pickled them in jars. That's insane. Do you have anything to back that up? Sorry, sorry. I was just, I'm, I'm trying to become a saint. It takes a lot of work, a lot of pressure. And sometimes you just, if you do as much cocaine as I do, sometimes you just get a little paranoid and you think people are pickling children. One's in Boston, one's in Phoenix. Like, I'm sorry. 
It's hard to pull off a good miracle. Let's uh, here. I got another one. Um, pick a card and don't show it to me. <laughs> I mean, you, you gotta get the miracles in somehow, and they're getting fewer and farther between. It's just harder to find a miracle to do. Just taking swings. Like throughout the country. Yeah, you just have like at some point. It's like answering C on a test, right? <laughs> at some point, that is going to be the answer. How many how many inns had he busted into before this? Before he found one where there was actually some murdered kids. <laughs> Every Christmas, this son of a bitch breaks into our hotel and accuses us of murdering children like we're some kind of Decemberist yes, You're going to get it right eventually. You just, you just look down the street, and there's just a string of inns with their doors kicked in, and the shop owner's like, what the hell just happened? Who was that crazy guy? That's a deep cut. That album came out in what, like 2007? <laughs> you know what, I have to look it up, but that reminds me. It gives me it gives me a whole new perspective on the whole hanging a pickle on your Christmas tree tradition. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, you if you if you find the hidden pickle, you get an extra present. Yeah, I've always wondered if it's connected, but I don't know. Yeah, it's in like Germany. That just sounds like uh, like like if mistletoe is the bare minimum for like Christmas party sexual assault allegations, like the Christmas pickle just t- like oh oh find the Christmas pickle. <laughs> So now, now this I am horrified now because this is a tradition where if you you would hang this originated in Germany, not Turkey, but uh, if you hang a pickle on the tree and someone finds the pickle, they get an extra present from Santa Claus. It has new <laughs> meaning in light of Abe's story. Oh man, I'm really interested to know if it's connected. Well, that's the like I said, that's the more wild and and arguably the more mila- miraculous and um, magical of his miracles. The other one is far fetched. <laughs> You know, we don't want to disparage anyone's beliefs here on this podcast, unless you're a flat earther or an axi-vaxxer, then you can get right the fuck out. Um, <laughs> um, There's your E-rating. So the second fuck one yeah. um, is, um, so St. Nicholas is, is traveling around the countryside doing whatever it is that he did, um, and, you know, leaving coins in kids' shoes or whatever, I think is, is what it was. But he comes across a father who's, who's come across hard times. He's, he's hard up for cash. So doing what every loving and logical father does in the early Middle Ages, he decides he's going to sell his three daughters into slavery because that is the best way to make money. Um, St. Nicholas has decided that that is not the best idea and, in fact, is kind of a dick move. So in order to save the daughters from a life of servitude and slavery, he offers to put forward a dowry in order so that that those daughters can be married off. Into servitude and slavery. Instead of having to be sold. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's it's nice. I don't know if it's a miracle to have, you know, money, but there there we go. That counts as one of his miracles, I guess. It's objectively more helpful and more useful than the other miracle he said. Like, you can be like... There's physical proof, right? Like you could you could prove that like that guy's gonna sell his three daughters off into slavery. He's talking about doing it as opposed to being like that guy murdered and pickled his three kids. No, no, resurrected the myrtled, myrtled, the myrtled, the murdered and pickled kids. Right. Again, very helpful, but unproblematic. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's like yes, I could believe that this happened. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of what I know about the the early <laughs> history, the the Saint Nicholas I'm, side I'm of it. Still laughing. Um, <laughs> So I have to admit, I had never heard the pickled miracle before. That's, that's something else. The pickled miracle? Sounds like a, th- sounds like a thin man story. The pickled miracle. I'm gonna, that's going to be a Christmas book that I write 
the pickle miracle. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> the pickle miracle. You know, if you need help uh, with the writing, it's been a minute since we've talked about it, but um, I happen to know a guy. I happen to know a guy who's an English major. <laughs> we had an English major on the podcast. <laughs> It's funny, Daniel, you remember that better than I do. Well, you've told me so many times, I just... <laughs> <laughs> what else do you guys... Do you guys know anything else about, like, kind of the early history of Santa Claus? So, so, Sinterklaas is kind of the next one that I think, you know, I know of. Yeah, and I know he's from Denmark, uh, is, is my understanding, mm-hmm. um, and right. kind of came out of a, a, out of a separate tradition that was not connected to St. Nicholas, and the figures kind of end up getting merged a little bit, especially yes. once the the Danish settlers go to the United States or what becomes the United States uh, because they settled down in New Amsterdam, what's now New York, mm-hmm. and brought right. that that Sinterklaas tradition with them, where it then merged with you know some of the the more traditional Catholic uh, populations. You know, you've got like your Italians and other other populations that would have brought the Catholic tradition with St. Nicholas, and then you get the kind of the anglification of Sinterklaas into Santa Claus and the merging. So I know that that's kind of the next step in the evolution, uh, but but what's what's the actual deal with Sinterklaas? So uh, and one thing I was going to mention there that's it's not so much directly an answer to that question. Apologies. But the other thing I think is fascinating that you have with Sinterklaas and the Germanic traditions and, and kind of what you're talking about is that the merging of really paganism and pagan traditions and beliefs with uh, Christianity coming in. Because it, it does kind of end up being inevitable that, that this figure is connected pretty directly to Christianity at the time. You know, now, not necessarily so much, but you but with with Sinterklaas and, and you talk about those other traditions influencing it, there's even ties potentially to uh, Woden which is kind of the Germanic equivalent of Odin in Old Norse mythology. Um, and then there's even some stuff with Sinterklaas that kind of mirrors the Wild Hunt, which I'd love to do an episode on the Wild Hunt sometimes. It's this, it's this fascinating kind of like medieval ghost writers that, that's associated with with all these different things and the solstice and all that. But anyway, so you have those things influencing it. And of course, a lot of it comes from Yule. There's a lot of parallels between Christmas as it is celebrated uh, with some of our traditions, like trees and whatnot, uh, that come from Yule. So you have a lot of that going on. But I believe, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, the kind of the look of Sinterklaas is a little similar to what we have now with Santa Claus with the red. I know some of it we'll get to comes from a, a totally different thing later on, but the gift giving is always there. And and we've talked about this before. You know, it's 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 fairly different, like you guys were joking Early on, a lot of times it's treats, you know, or like a coin. It's it's relatively small. The gift giving is not, it's it's emphasized, but it's not necessarily like the be all end all of, of this figure and what this figure is all about. Seems like it's more about <clears throat> the gift giving at this point is, is much more about things that you maybe don't get all the time like like toys but but also maybe I mean, yeah. even even the idea of like really really good fruits or or nuts yeah right yeah, yeah. and that's yeah like oranges were a really common gift like any kind of citrus fruit yeah those are big in victorian christmas too yeah citrus I actually just found a handful of years ago i got i got asked to write a, a christmas article for a for a local publication in the in, in greeley where where we all 
uh, well, I guess Weston, you and I and Abe adjacent grew up. Yes, yes. And if you, so many of these traditions are, are, are relatively the same. You have Santa Lucia, you have Pierre Noel, Père Noel in France, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. St. Nicholas in, right. in European countries. Uh, he's the only one who's not actually tossing fruits. What, what I what I know about St. Nicholas is that he's tossing <laughs> gold down people's chimneys, which is like, that just seems... Right. That just seems blatantly wasteful. <laughs> Like, why don't you why don't you put some of that into the into the local community, Santa Claus? But um, I mean, that's, a, that's you guys bring up an interesting point because especially later, once we start to have these figures merging, like the two common factors between all of these figures is the gift giving and right. generally like a connection to winter in some way. So like you've got yeah. all of these different winter gift givers, and I, especially once we get to the United States, that's really. There any any number of these winter gift givers just sort of start to get merged together more and more over time, which is really really interesting. Because yeah, like like we talked about, there's you know the fruit or the coins or whatever are are always kind of a common thread between all of these different versions. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know as as it goes on, and maybe I'm incorrect about this because admittedly I'm not super well versed in the old Santa Santa Claus traditions. But I think the idea of being good, facilitating, you get these presents. I think that's become much more the focus. And then Santa as sort of a, um, a morality fable for children, uh, much in the way... Well, and also it feels like as Christmas has become much more connotated with specifically Western religious holidays, it does fit much more into the idea of like, be good do good things yeah right 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 you're always being watched so you know you you want to be rewarded right and you perform the certain way and you are rewarded for it yeah exactly santa claus is a warm-up act for god like we could argue that like they look really they look relatively similar uh they look that maybe they're like brothers maybe cousins (laughs) long white beard maybe yeah maybe we'll go with cousins and that's like and that's like a warm-up it's like you know Santa Claus watches you uh, around the clock, doesn't take time off, uh, 365 days a year, 24-7. He is watching you, uh, and if you do good things, you get presents. If you do bad things, you get coal. It's like a warm-up act for being like, all right, there's this guy named God, watches you all the time. And if you do good things, you go to heaven. If you do bad things, he destroys you. Well, And I, and I think where that is, is spot on is that I think that's exactly why that tradition of that figure endured as Catholicism spread through old Europe, because yeah, it does fit the whole uh, notion of performing morality and then you are rewarded for it. But it's not, and we don't have to go into this right now, but I think the other thing with that where it's, it's not exclusive to that is you, is you have that with like the fairies and fairy lore, I think really connects to Santa Claus. And it's a huge interest of mine. Um, I, you both know, our listeners probably heard me say it enough, like in a lot of my own artwork, I have a series. English degree. We get of <laughs> characters that I create uh, that are my interpretation of, of classic uh, Celtic and European fairies, and it's they're so fascinating. There's so much to all that, but we can come back to that. Later. Actually, have one. Uh, oh yeah, you do on a shelf over there. I have one actually. Yeah. Which I re- this is an audio medium, so I realize no one can see that. But oh, cool! I have one. You have the hobgoblin. That one's one of my favorites. On a on a semi-related note to what we were just talking about, a, an interesting modern addition to kind of this morality fable, um, and something that I think we can all agree is a monster is the horrifying bastard child of Santa Claus and Toy Story, that little bastard elf on a shelf. <laughs> oh, good Lord, yeah. 
Because that thing is is a terrifying idea. Like, not only... Like, it wasn't bad enough that you just had an omniscient Santa that was, you know, just knew what was going on. Now you have to have a little, like, a little little dude sitting on your shelf like one of those nanny cams <laughs> watching you all day, every day. Like, Well, and isn't... Oh. I don't have kids, so I don't really know, but isn't that the whole point of the elf on the shelf? Is like oh, he works for San- He works for Santa. He's in your house. Santa doesn't actually trust you to be good on your own. <laughs> He's got to really make it so you know something is watching you and it causes mischief and like poops in your house <laughs> we don't we don't do elf on the shelf i don't know we don't do that goes through your stuff all of a sudden you find an elf on the shelf like trying on your sister's bras and you're like what and it's just frozen there like i'm not doing anything i mean that's horrifying yeah monstrous behavior so again would you say monstrous no no i'm not gonna go there yet well it doesn't it doesn't matter i would <laughs> Now, I think it's uh, kind of continuing the, the historical trajectory of Santa Claus. You know, I think we end up uh, with a lot of what we have now actually coming from the United States. R- remind me, it's it's Thomas Nast, right, who wrote The the Night Before Christmas? No, that's no. who did the cart, uh, the comic. The, okay. the, the, yeah, he was a political cartoonist. Um, and he's kind of responsible for the visual, like our current visual version of Santa Claus. Yes. He, he drew a cartoon where it's kind of the one of the first known times where we've got a portly Santa carrying a bag of toys. He's got the white beard. He's got the red suit and hat with the white trim. The gold belt buckle, the black belt. Yeah, the, the, the works. Even though this image is, is old, it looks exactly like what we consider Santa Claus to look like today. And the other place that we get a lot of our modern interpretation of Santa from is the poem, uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And this was written, oh man. Um, it was in the 30s, wasn't it? I think so. Here, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. But it, it really it introduces a lot of our modern understanding of what Santa Claus is. So The Night Before Christmas was written by Clement Clark Moore. And basically, oh no, so this is, this is even way, this is even older than that. 1822. Well, that's right. Yeah. 1822, um, from Clement Clark, Clark Moore. But this, this kind of is the originator of a ton of our ideas of Santa Claus. So from the, the calling him jolly, this is the first time that Santa's referred to as jolly. They call him a jolly old elf in the poem. It was it being lively, being quick. Yep. This is the first time that we have Santa with a team of reindeer, and he gives the reindeer the names as well. So Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen all come from that uh, that poem. Which are ridiculous names, which is monstrous in its own right. Like, why give people... Rid- now, I think it's interesting... Oh, here we go. Donner and Blitzen are German. But, it, I mean... Never mind. <laughs> Comedy COVID... Weston, you literally killed that whole train of thought. Like, oh man, I am the comedy killer. (laughs) (laughs) I killed the joke. Oh my god, I'm like horrified. A lot of people have tried. So just joining a joining a proud tradition of people, and I'll call them by name right now. I really am the the comedy killer. I'm so sorry. I don't I don't care. I just have to give you shit. It's my job on this podcast. (laughs) It's, it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting in that particular instance uh, in Twas the Night Before Christmas that you have Santa called an elf. 
uh, to have someone from the Victorian age referring to that character as that kind of being. I think that is a case for like Santa being a monster. Um, I would say they're not I, they're not traditionally understood as monsters in the same sense of some other things, but uh, fairies like fey creatures like that are definitely in a very interesting category. Well, and especially we'll, we'll talk more about these uh, the fairy lore I know coming up, but um, this yeah. Like, yeah. again having him, a poem from eighteen twenty two calling him an elf in a pre Tolkien yeah. world. Like the the perception of what right. elf means at that time is is very different than than our modern idea of an elf. So oh, totally, totally, totally different. I mean, well, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about that. We've danced around it enough. So, uh, right, elves, goblins, uh, fairies, right? They they were not these cutesy, pretty little things that we see now. You know, the classic representation of an elf, uh, particularly in like Christmas elf. It's not like we see at the end of the Polar Express. Diminutive, right. Pointed and, features, cherub, mm-hmm. cherubic, if you will. Um, they're hideous. They're freaky. They're weird. These are things that might help you if you do things a certain way and give them what they want. If you don't, they're going to wreak havoc. Sometimes that's just like pranks, practical jokes. However, some of those pranks are of the variety that are still like injurious. Um, or <laughs> it's even like it involves death, right? right? <laughs> I prank you so pranks. hard, yeah, you die. <laughs> <laughs> right. If it ends with, I was only joking, <laughs> right. you have a problem. But yeah, and, and, and oftentimes a lot of these... Uh, now, And I think too, it's interesting because like, people from celtic traditions even today there's still people that are not willing to say no i don't believe that the fairies are uh are i don't believe that the fairies are made up i think these are real so it's hard to say did people understand the fairies as something that they really you know assume was a real part of the world interacting with them etc or is it just kind of like oh well you know it's just something that we it's a tradition that we don't divert from um, that's that's hard to say, but the point there, a lot of these, like you're saying, like if you grow if you grow up being told something, is that what you're saying, right? Like they've just it's kind of just an ingrained part of that culture. Yeah, that like maybe I, they don't think about why they believe. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I know people personally uh, from uh, Ireland, from Scotland, who will not say, "No, I don't believe in the fairies." They won't say that. Do they actually believe in them? Well, maybe because every time so. you say that, somewhere a fairy drops dead. <laughs> we're not monsters like santa claus (laughs) i don't think that's where it comes from but but that was that was a perfect uh it's funny you mentioned that um thank you it was yeah (laughs) that was your pun um but no it's it's very it's it's interesting that people won't (laughs) i lose my train of thought now I, i killed your joke you killed my my scholarly uh rant just doing it for the listeners a lot of these fairies kind of serve a similar function with children. We're like a bugbear, right? You don't wander off into the woods alone. A bugbear is going to eat you if you do. Uh, you don't play near the edge of a stagnant pond or bog because a grundalo is going to pop out, grab you, and drown you, right? Um, and then there's even some really specific bogies, like what was ones like Ginny Green Teeth. Uh, that's the one I can think of immediately. But there's all kinds of bogies. Ginny Green and- Teeth. Ginny Green Teeth, yeah, is like a, a hag that's kind of similar to a Grundelow in function, but was associated, I believe, with a specific pond in an area. Um, Will of the Wisp, right? Stay on the path. Don't wander from the path. You'll 
end up in a bog and die or you know who knows what happens um so it's it's just it just seems it seems to me like all of these things are about controlling people like it, like if you start like they existed these stories exist not because these things exist but because someone at some point decided you know what's a good way to control people particularly children to doing what you want to do scare the living dog shit out of them like I mean them, I like, think there's hey, something to that if you don't li- there's a there's a great far side cartoon where a woman is putting her her child to bed and she says now make sure you go straight to sleep billy or i'm going to knock 3 times and summon the floating head of death and the dad is in the basement holding a balloon with like a hellish face drawn on it and that's what that feels like to me i mean i i think there's truth to that now and it's interesting cuz not all Thank fairies you. function quite that way i mean okay you mentioned like you have a hobgoblin you know on your shelf like so hobgoblins traditionally traditionally or like brownies were a good thing to have around like they would help clean up your inn or your house and you paid them with food or a bowl of of cream um and then if you didn't they'd get ticked off and destroy your house right so there still is a fear element but some so don't. raccoons you're describing a raccoon <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe i don't know They're weird little human-like hands <laughs> sweeping holding a dustpan apparently raccoons are one of the animals that has fingerprints that are most like humans to the extent where they have caused problems in criminal <laughs> investigations because they have found raccoon fingerprints on stuff and like tried to run We've them through federal time. databases. I'm just imagining a lineup where it's like, do you recognize the man that <laughs> and what's a raccoon? It's like one raccoon <laughs> holding the little placard. It's like, <laughs> I love that idea so much. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Right. <laughs> that is funny. Well, yeah, there you go. Raccoons and fairies, same thing. But some, my, my point is just that some don't function as literally and as, a, as a, like a morality fable or a cautionary tale. I'd argue most of them do. I mean, most of them do. Oh, I just didn't list as many as I could. That's what people don't want to sit here and listen to. <laughs> I mean, speaking only for myself, you're correct. <laughs> Uh, kobolds don't, blue caps don't. No, 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 we said we don't want the list. Red caps don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we left off with, with Santa's history in the United States in kind of like the, the early 1900s, late 1800s. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of the, the beginning of the, the merging of all of these different traditions in the United right. States. Um, and then we, we get into, like, again, after, like, post- was the night before Christmas, then we get into really the modern version of what, what would identifiably for us be Santa Claus. So we've, we've talked a little bit about some of his monstrous traits and, and some of his abilities before this. And, and we've talked about the connection with, with the elves, which he somehow has, has sway and dominion over these, these beastly little monsters. So what, what I'm also going to argue huge animal rights or animal cruelty proponent like these these he has he has also <laughs> enslaved these reindeer and is forcing them to work. And are these are these reindeer naturally flying <laughs> beings or has he somehow, you know, genetically augmented them? Is this some sort of horrible like, you know, um, like a chop shop for for uh, for reindeer? Yeah, a Oh my god, I completely forgot. What do you call the word when you have more than a uh, chimera? Is this like some sort of sort of like horrible chimera situation where where Santa Claus has like bred, you know, reindeer with <laughs> I don't know, whatever kind of flying beast in, in some sort of horrible abomination of nature? <laughs> uh, you know what? Probably. 
Maybe they're blimps. Yeah, half blimp, half reindeer. Pumping them full of chemicals like helium. Yep. Just puts a helium hose in them before. Just like straight in the mouth. (laughs) I mean, there's one of them that has a shiny red nose. So, you know, there's some sort of horrifying chemical testing happening in that that stable. (laughs) Who's doing that? Yeah. This the more I'm thinking about it, this guy sounds like a monster. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to help you guys out with this one a little bit. And Abe, you mentioned, you know, modern, it, truly the modern American. I feel like we've been doing fine on our own. I don't know. Like... I don't know. <laughs> you know. So you want to go on record and say enslaving a group of people to work for you and animal cruelty, not things you have necessarily a big <laughs> I'm gonna problem. I'm going to go on record with. and say that you guys have neglected to mention one of the modern American classic body horror films that supports your theory. The Human Santipede. The Santa Claus with Tim Yes, Allen. absolutely. The Santa Claus with Tim <laughs> Allen may be the strongest case for Santa Claus being some sort of monster. Um, because if you look... Or at least for Tim Allen being a monster. I mean, I don't think we have to argue that. That's pretty much a given. Allegedly. Hey, he's had a very hard time being a conservative man in Hollywood. A very hard time. Well, maybe one of the strongest cases for Santa Claus as a monster. So, like, do we want to... Let's give a quick recap of, of what is happening in this for people who haven't seen this gem. Regular guy stumbles onto something supernatural, is overtaken by an entity that destroys his life and transforms him into another person or being. Yeah, I mean, the, the parallels between that and, like, the symbiote from Spider-Man are, are astonishing. Where you know Venom it, and the Santa Claus are the same thing, man. Th- you know, it's just one's black and one's red. I mean, Carnage is basically mm-hmm. Santa Claus. <laughs> oh Santa my Claus God. Is fur. <laughs> 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 um, so I mean, you get you get an, an alien entity, whether literally alien from outer space or alien right. in in the sense that it is not part of you. Exactly. That attaches itself to you, mm-hmm. fundamentally alters your behavior, mm-hmm. your appearance, in, psych- mm-hmm. in psychology. And and, yeah, and like your psychology right. and like your, your goals and your, your, your state. So for those of you who have not been subjected to the steaming pile of crap that is the Santa Claus, <laughs> um, at the beginning Congratulations. of the movie, <laughs> you've somehow survived this long without it. I tried to rewatch it last year. It's not a good movie. Um, but no, <laughs> at, the beginning, at the beginning, Tim Allen is, is a dick everybody nobody <laughs> likes him in in classic 90s movie fashion he's a and bad then dad. they said action on set and his character yeah, and then was he also played a dick, a dick. <laughs> um but he startles santa claus who's on the top of his roof because he thinks santa claus is a home invader at which point santa claus slips and falls literally to his death um <laughs> and so tim allen puts on santa's clothes but it was just like you do after you murder somebody um, and yeah, becomes... Okay, let's talk about that. Why in in what universe? You're like, oh my god, I accidentally just murdered a guy. That is a nice jacket. <laughs> I'm gonna try on this jacket. There's like a business card that says the Santa Claus. Does he find that before he puts on the jacket? That or I does don't he remember. just choose to put on the victim of murder's jacket? I thought his kid is trying to get him to put the coat in the hat I on. think he puts the coat on, and then they find the... It's in like a... Isn't it in like a wallet or something? Like the Santa wallet? Maybe. Pocket or Maybe. something? Maybe. I don't well, remember. Because the body I, I, disappears. 
Yeah, it, it pull it goes full Obi Wan Kenobi and just this is right. This is more case for the symbiote. The Venom symbiote is or like Wicked Witch of consumed. the West when she gets right, killed, she yeah. shrivels up too and disappears Disappear. into dust. Mm-hmm. <gasps> dust back to dust. <laughs> From dust yeah, to dust. I mean, we've got we've got kind of a situation where like the the personality, like the host, is meaningless in comparison yeah, right. to the the Santa intelligence, the, exactly. the Santa the entity. entity. The yes. Borg, the Santa Borg, resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Santa, yeah. yes. We are Santa. We are many. Yes. I mean, that's another possibility. We don't know. Maybe Santa, like the, in the Santa Claus universe, do we know that there is only one Santa Claus? Maybe there are many of these these entities that are like connected to some sort of Santa hive mind. It's um, it's possible all performing one part. I mean, we don't we don't they don't say that that doesn't happen. S- Santa is a title, not a person. Like. Like Santa or Pharaoh or Beyonce. Well, I I don't know if uh, if Weston is convinced, but I think we put forward pretty convincing evidence, and I think we can put the argument to rest that Santa Claus definitely is a monster, proper monster. I think the two of you have made an excellent case. How? Nope, that's it. Ever, I'm still going to say I don't think full on monster. I think supernatural. I think something that exists in this liminal space and where the emphasis is like the morality fable, absolutely. But I'm still going to say not the Cyclops, not the Minotaur, not a dragon, not Jenny Green Teeth, but good case, good case. Well, I'm going to disagree with you and say I think I think that is a very one-sided view of what monsters are. Monsters are not mm-hmm. just... Uh, Things with one eyes, big or green teeth. In the case of Janet Greentooth, I think I think the most monstrous thing of all is uh, proclaiming yourself to be an authority on what is good and what is right and righteous, and insisting that people are good exclusively for the sake of goodness, not actually out of the kindness of their own hearts, and and creating a system with which people have to work to fit in. Uh, and if they don't, they are judged by you. I feel like that is that is monstrous, in any sense of the word. The the puritanical morality thing here of like the good deeds for the sake of reward, and um, again, like kind of this this uh, single minded um, authoritarian hold upon the definition of what is good and what is evil. I mean, that's a, it's a convincing argument. There you have it. There you have it. Abe and Daniel the Manuals. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel. Marry whatever you prescribe. Daniel, stay in, stay Daniel. safe, wear a mask. There we go. This uh, Christmas holiday special, to end things, Daniel has prepared a very, very special dramatic reading. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate or don't. Thank you for joining us on Ghost in the Garbage. <clears throat> Throughout time and history, there has always been a Santa Claus. Guzzling dairy and gluten while he judges your actions naughty or nice, he's everywhere. You can pick any corner of the world and there is a Clausian-esque character forcing himself into the homes and dreams of innocent families. Now at this point, you may ask, how is this possible? How does Santa travel around the world in one night? Easy, there are a billion of them. They're everywhere. A yuletide hive working out of the North Pole. A full-on Santa naughty, and their tangled, tinseled web of terror has made its way around the globe like a rabid reindeer. 
In Sweden, at the crack of dawn, a little girl berobes herself in crimson, ties lit candles in her hair, shakes adults away, and force-feeds them Lucia bread. Why on earth would someone think that was a good idea at 3 a.m.? Inconsiderate. Australian Santa hops in on a surfboard. Isn't most of that country landlocked? Incredibly selfish, if you ask me. So much for being an ageless icon of consideration, generosity, and joy. Check Santa slides down your chimney with the cunning use of a rope. We're talking some serious forearm strength there. Rope climbing, athletic Santa. Do you really want your daughter sitting on that guy's lap? In France, Père Noël fills people's shoes with fruit, cake, and other perishable foods that sit unrefrigerated overnight. This is a healthcare nightmare. Others believe that Petit Jesus is allowed to wander around the night with no supervision. Why would someone let tiny Jesus escape? Somebody go find him. He's important. European countries say St. Nicholas tosses gold coins down chimneys. Hey, St. Nick. Given the economic stability of Eastern Europe lately, maybe you could have put some of that gold into the economy. Last, and I think we can agree, worst, is Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas, a majestic, elderly, wise figure of yuletide joy, arriving on a white stallion, encroached in a flowing crimson chasuble, a gold mitre perched upon his head, his hands wielding a long, ornate crossier, his gray beard Billowing, before entering each home, he peruses his gold book of naughty and nice, a, ta a tome which unfolds a tale of what children have been properly behaving and which children have gone astray and deserve punishment. Riding along is Sinterklaas's right-hand man, Connect Ruprecht, a foreboding man swinging a chimney sweep's broom and clutching a worn bag of ashes. With them, a large mob of men with sooty faces accompanies. Once discovered, these naughty children are given the option of repenting for their naughty ways. Those who choose to accept are rewarded with sweets and other chintzy items, presumably ceramic pumpkins and decorative balls, while the children who refuse to repent are repeatedly beaten with Connect's sack of ashes. Once beaten into submission, these children are then taken for further punishment to Spain. There you have it. Masses of self-appointed moral saviors spreading the true message of Christmas, which is, you're naughty. So decide for yourself, people of the world of podcast listenership. This notion of Santa Claus being a twinkly-eyed, red-nosed, jolly old elf might just be a ho-ho hoax.